Our guest this episode is from Petaluma, California. He started playing piano at 10 and played his first professional gig at 14. He also plays a bit of trumpet, drum kit, and bass. His piano studies began with classical and ragtime, and he soon discovered jazz. He still loves classical piano, has a passion for the music of George Gershwin, and is known for playing a mean stride piano. At 25, our guest is currently the pianist for the Billy Holiday Project, led by Stella Heath. And he's played at most of the top local Bay Area venues, including Blue Note Napa, The Back Room, Red Poppy Art House, Occidental Center for the Arts, Healdsburg Hotel, and the Mystic Theater in Petaluma, just to name a few. He has numerous gigs lined up with the Billy Holiday Project in New York City, as well as other parts of the country. Our guest is a humble and generous man with a lot of talent, a great work ethic, and a charming sense of humor. Our guest today is Neil Angelo Fontano. Welcome to Meaningful Musical Conversations, where words are music, hearts are melodies, and harmony is our vision. I'm Jill Minier. I'm Daniel Townsend. And as always, thank you so much again for tuning in to our Meaningful Musical Conversation. Today, I've got Neil in the house today. How are you doing today, Neil? Fine. Doing very well. Very good. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming out today. We really appreciate you having on. Yes, we're really thrilled to have you, Neil. My pleasure. Things to know about Neil real quick. He's a pianist. And how long have you been a pianist? I have been a, well, a pianist professionally, you could say, approximately since the age of about 14, 15. Wow. Um, yeah, in some capacity or another. That's when I started kind of earning money doing it, you could say. Wow, that's, <laughs> Tell, that's incredible. Yeah, what was I your mean, first gig like? Very what? part-time. Oh, I do remember. My first gig was, I believe I was 13. Yeah, I was 13 because it was a while after my first gig. Okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> my first gig, though, was a, a wedding. So it was a private event down in um, Marin County, somewhere out in the beautiful countryside mm-hmm. up in the hills, you know. And um, it was a wedding in a, in a huge sort of manor, like a, like a residence, and um, they had the caterers there and the whole thing. And so I played, I didn't play the ceremony, but I played the reception and uh, that sort of thing. So I played, I think, about a good solid hour and a half worth of solo piano. Wow. Um, maybe a little less, but it was a lot of classical and a, a little bit of ragtime and kind of things like that. I was fairly new to the piano, too. I began playing when I was 10 and a half and started taking lessons when I was 11. Wow. So it was just a few years later. Right. That's that's, that's truly amazing. incredible. <laughs> yeah, very, I, I agree. Cool. Yeah. Um, wow. Part of me is jealous that you're yeah. able to do that. <laughs> me <simple>. too. <laughs> <laughs> but we're happy for you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, what what was the uh, preparation like for that? As a kid, did did your teacher help you kind of prepare for that sort of thing? Oh yeah, that's a good question. No, he. I don't even know if he really knew about it till after the fact. Come to think of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, my my grandparents were. Um, at that time, uh, played a pretty large role in, in sort of helping me. They were like semi-managerial, you know, mm-hmm. helping me out. And I think they kind of helped me get into that situation. It was like a friends of the family type deal. Yes. Right. Yeah. So they, they kind of helped me. But as far as the musical side of it, I kind of just played everything I knew because mm-hmm. it, it was about an hour's worth at that time, maybe a little yeah. more. So. That's really, really cool. It is, yeah. <laughs> do you remember any of the pieces, I'm sure you do, that you played? I played, let's see, I played a little 
part of a sonata in C major, the popular one, K forty five forty five or something, uh, Mozart. Mm-hmm. I played maybe a Chopin Prelude, and um, I may have played a Bach Invention. I um, let's see what else I played. I, th- I know I played like Maple Leaf Rag, you know, mm. Scott Joplin, and yeah. That's what I grew like up playing that, on so. piano. <laughs> oh, neat. Too, neat. Oh, I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's how I started. Um, okay. I, I think we mentioned this in a previous podcast a couple episodes ago, but uh, started on mostly ragtime is what I learned when wow. I started out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting it's, way to start, but yeah. yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. A lot neat. of good rhythm. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Well, where'd you go from there? I mean, if you don't mind me asking. Oh, of course. So... Um, I continued piano lessons. I had a... Well, interestingly enough, my piano... Uh, instructor was actually a guitarist mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, i wasn't with her for too long she actually i think moved and i had a different uh, instructor who graduated from sonoma state and we worked on a lot of different stuff um a little more blues oriented a little mm-hmm. more like uh popular tunes oh, you know okay. uh vince Guaraldi, peanuts tunes and stuff tried to kind of work on that right yeah that was that was basically my piano career kind of ended there because i learned started learning guitar and then that took over, unfortunately. <laughs> Still my biggest regret probably was just not continuing with the piano as much. Today mm. I'm kind of back on the horse a little bit. There you go. Compositionally, though. Okay. Nice. That's sort of it for my piano world. Very neat. Yeah. All right. So, Neil, you you know, you progress so quickly mm-hmm. um, with the piano. I'm wondering about your practicing, uh, you know, what your practicing was like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good old practice. Well, I would say um, with confidence back then... Um, Maybe slow to start on this, but at one point I was practicing maybe six, seven hours a day. Wow. Um, okay, listeners, you, can't, you can't see my face of <laughs> utter shock <laughs> when he said that. I think, but wow. No, that's what it was um, for a period of maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe six, seven months or so. So that was maybe the intense period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was, other than that, a lot of two, three hour days um, when I was a teenage, you know, just 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, my, my teacher, um, I, I, I could maybe go into that. I, mm-hmm. so my, my musical mentor, um, my main teacher, I started with him when I was, I want to say 11, mm-hmm. 11 or 12. And I was with him for a good five years. Wow. Uh, his name is Peter Vincent Marlotti and, um, very, very notable figure actually doesn't seem too known nowadays around here. He's from New York city, uh, at least that's where he established himself when he was 16 years old. He was so much older than me too. When I first started with him, I didn't really have the proper respect and appreciation of his craft and mastery. He was a composer and a, a you know world-class, world-renowned composer at that and concert pianist, wow. nice. classical pianist, yeah. And um, so he, you know, I remember him kind of showing me, when I started taking lessons with him, we did the, we, we talked for about an hour before he even had me play anything, you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, and it was pretty neat. And so I, I showed him the stuff that I already kind of knew and was interested in. And he kind of was like, we're going to do this. And it was great because he introduced me to, essentially introduced me to Bach and Beethoven, Mozart and uh, Chopin and eventually mm-hmm. Debussy and all this amazing music. And even helped me with some of my ragtime and then eventually introduced me to George Gershwin and um, mm-hmm. music of that, Americana and that really kind of opened up the, the gate for me to delve into jazz and kind of open up my ears to it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, he he was very important. I would not be the artist, artiste, mm-hmm. and musical person I am today without his uh, direction and, and instruction. So, and is he is he from Petaluma? 
or? No, he was living in Santa Rosa. So okay. I studied with him in his private residence in, in Santa Rosa. He had a beautiful Baldwin piano, about seven foot or so. Mm. Uh, just a lifetime of incredible experience he had performing all over the world with his own compositions or, you know, performing classical music. Wow. So, wow. yeah, <laughs> I was pretty privileged to have him. He passed away when I was maybe eight, I was 18, I think, okay. right at the end of my high school. Uh, I remember it was in 2012 and he had dementia and, you know, was, mm. he, I think he was around eight, 79, 80 years old. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, I do miss him, but I've I've very recently kind of uh, delved back into that repertoire and try to continue on that that path. So, well, speaking of that, yeah, I just recently saw I think it was an Instagram video that somebody posted of you playing um, in Piedmont in Oakland, playing a piano, a classical piece. Oh, this uh-oh. was just a couple of days ago. Uh, oh, I wonder who did that. <laughs> <laughs> it was really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank do you remember you. sitting at that piano playing? That? Oh, that's funny you asked that because that particular piano, I don't know if I'll ever forget sitting at that one. That was a gorgeous instrument. Mm. And this was at, in Piedmont. Uh, and where, what was the location of that? So that building? was Piedmont Center for the Arts. Okay. Up on the hill. Nice little building. Um, we, uh, that was a, with the Billy Holiday Project. We, mm. we played there. And um, we performed a whole set. And at the end, I, I, I just could not stop playing that piano. Oh, uh, wow. It was incredible. It was a Steinway. I've played several, you know, more mediocre Steinways. Uh, this one was like in full top form, you know, fully cared for. All mm-hmm. the TLC you can imagine, I guess, from the piano tuner, her piano tuner who works with the San Francisco Symphony. So one of the heavyweights came in there and, you know, fixed it up. It was just an Sweet. incredible instrument. So I felt very, you know, at home just sitting down and, and <laughs> it's not often I get to play on it on nice. a piano like that. So. Wow. Well, I hope you get that video clip. You oh. should have like, maybe it was Stella that sent it to you. You know, I think it was Stella. Yeah. Hi, Stella. Stella. <laughs> <laughs> as, yeah. a, as a not much of a pianist and I have a feeling some of our listeners don't play either. I'm kind of curious what makes a piano like, wh- what is it about that Steinway you played, you know? What is that really pops? What well, I can give you uh, only in a, uh, uh, an intro, uh, how should I say this, surface level details on the technicalities. Um, so, not, of course, basically speaking, what it's made of, the wood and how it's, you know, put together and assembled and the quality and all that kind of thing. Uh, so the engineering and the mechanics that go into it is, is a big part of it. Uh, and Steinway has their own sort of, you know, approach to that. But... This piano in particular, uh, I think it was not only is it well maintained, but like just that the action on it is is was perfect mm. for me. Um, in a way, I'm kind of plugging this venue yeah. <laughs> for piano's sake. It's just it's a personal thing for me, you know. I, some other pianists might have different opinions, but the the tone of it was incredible. Mm. Uh, the timbre, high end, the resonance of the low end, uh, the the depth of the bass notes and the strings, you know, it was just very full and. Uh, not not too sharp, but just mm-hmm. like the perfect balance of warmth and and kind of like a, a proper amount of boom. So you almost feel like you have a bass player there when you're playing this mm-hmm. low notes, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's just power behind the the sound. You can really get a huge sound out of that thing. Um, and then also a very soft, nuance sensitive sound. And it's just great, mm-hmm. it, you know. It, it, whenever I play on a on a great piano, it's it's very inspiring. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you just mentioned the Billy Holiday Project. You know, tell us a little bit about the Billy Holiday Project. Okay. Well, the Billy Holiday Project um, is a uh, 
is a conception and creation essentially of of uh, Stella Heaths, who is the band leader um, and singer vocalist. And so she wanted to create something that um, was a little different from what she'd normally been doing for uh, French Oak Gypsy and mm -hmm. um, that ensemble that she had as she still has. And uh, so this is more focused on the classic swing and, and vintage jazz of the 1930s and 40s and somewhat 50s uh, centered around Billie Holiday, who is this sort of like very mystical yet kind of popular figure in, you know, jazz, in, in all of jazz, really, especially as far as, you know, singers go. And so um, she dedicated it to her. And um, so as far as like the band and all that sort of thing, I think it may have started just, oh, I know this guy, He's, he'd be really great, you know. And we kind of piece things together. I remember mm -hmm. trying a couple of different things out in the beginning, but um, there's a chemistry that we've sort of found with our sort of current iteration and incarnation that's been uh, pretty great. Mm -hmm. So that that's kind of what the how, how things going. It's usually a four or five piece band. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a, a reed player, saxophone, clarinet, or something, and then um, piano, bass, drums, and Stella, and uh, and it's really great. Our bass player um, Trevor Kinsell. Also plays the cornet, oh, and sweet. amongst other things, right? Yeah. But he's he's so talented, and, and he enjoys picking up the cornet and dual wielding that with his bass and trying to do both at the same yeah. time. <laughs> he's wow. really fun to watch. I, I gotta say, great. I, That's great. I never cease to be amused. You know, in terms of performing, um, mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you played recitals with your classical teacher, and. You know, how you feel about performing? Because I know for me, I had a lot of performance anxiety. And growing up playing classical piano, I literally refused to play recitals. There was one that I did, um, <laughs> but that was basically it. It was just all for myself. But you clearly, um, you know, are a performer. And I've seen you on stage. And you're really, you look very comfortable. And, you know, just, so yeah, I'm kind of curious about all of that performance. And Okay. Well, thank you. I, I think... Um, I, I certainly had a lot of nervousness and stage fright for a while. And occasionally it still kind of comes up. You know, it, I've learned to manage it pretty well. And I'll get, in, I'll get into that in a minute, maybe how I kind of overcame a large part of that. But um, I, 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 was, I was nervous for a while. And so um, when I was young, I, I did do some recitals. My teacher hosted some recitals, largely at his house. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I know we had one at, uh, I think it was the JB Piano Company store down in San Rafael. And... Um, he, he did like an annual thing there. And so um, I did have some early performance experience. And um, for a while, he had several other students. I think he had at one point 10 or 12 students aside from me. Mm. Um, and then that was for about a period of three years. And then maybe after that, it, was, it, it became less and less. But some of them were some real players and incredible technicians mm. that, you know, who happened to study under, under Peter. And it was uh, pretty inspiring. I, I was, no, I was not a standout at that time. <laughs> Aside from playing, um, you know, like ragtime, which none mm -hmm. of the other students really played. Mm -hmm. So I, he let me do a little bit of that. Other than that, it was, you know, Beethoven Sonata this or Bach, Prelude, yeah. Fugue that. And I always um, wanted to memorize my music because somehow I naturally felt uh, very hampered and like having music on the, on the, you know, mm -hmm. on the piano. Yeah. And I know it's, you know, you're supposed to adjust and it develops your sight reading and that sort of thing. And that was kind of like a gap in my early musical education that maybe persists in some way. 
I've had to do it a lot more, so I've gotten better at it, but um, it just felt so much more natural to internalize the music and then interpret it freely from my own, you know, mm -hmm. take on it. And then, of course, at the high levels, that's what you're supposed to do. Right. Um, but the, <laughs> the added anxiety mm -hmm. of having the music in front of me was made me even more nervous. Oh, yeah. interesting. So I knew I, oh I, I knew I couldn't even attempt to perform with yeah. music in front of me, and I kind of still feel that way. I, right. I, in, no matter what kind of music I'm doing, or even if I'm playing another instrument, I, I, I want to memorize the part, you know? Yeah. Um, Having the temptation to, like, of the music in front of you, sometimes even if you don't need it, looking at it will kind of screw up your rhythm as far as, like, yeah. you know, your internalized feeling of it can kind of get washed out because you're thinking about the notes on the page. I find that happens to me as well. Well, I know, and it's and it's somewhat counterintuitive because yeah. it's like you would think, oh, if you have it there, it's helpful, and, it, you know, it can help remind you, and it has served that purpose in the past, I think, um, for me, but usually I, I, it's just better for me to just make it a part of me, and then I'm just kind of like opening that little locker and just yeah. say, here you go. You nice. Know? Um, so it would felt like more pressure to actually have the music on the stand mm -hmm. than to just well did you need to have the music on the stand did your teacher ask you to do probably. that probably i okay. i don't know he didn't he yeah. he, he always encouraged memorization you know, yeah. most, most of the students or i would say over half of them did memorize all their music mm -hmm. so that was my recital experience and um not too much performance until i was maybe a junior in high school or so and started playing more in a jazz realm with you know student-led bands and whatnot mm -hmm. but um but yeah, so what, what, to getting back to what I was saying, uh, what helped me overcome the anxiety and stage fright in large part, I, you know, I must give credit to my, to my musical theater education and, and my friends in that, in that yeah. world. Absolutely. Um, so I see my first step in that direction may have been around the same time, may have been introduction to drama class at high school probably. Mm -hmm. And my, my family's fairly theatrical too, so uh, not not professionally speaking, but just very animated, yeah. you know, and on both sides of the, of the family, there's sort of a lot of like thespian-wise, you know, sentiments mm -hmm. and uh, mannerisms, uh -huh. you could say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a very kind of just boisterous sort of dynamic. And um, so they encouraged me to, to to pursue theater in some form, acting and whatnot. And um, so I did introduction to drama in high school, um, and that was that was pretty great. And then I think that same year, I did um, my first musical at Cinnabar Theater in Petaluma. Oh wow! Yeah, so it was uh, it was very you know it was um, it was very fun. It was Lady Be Good, which is a musical by Gershwin, of course. Yes. And so that caught my interest right away. Yeah. <laughs> and, yes. and and so my brother and I both actually signed up for that, and. Um, my mom really pushed me to do that, and I'm I'm glad she did because um, it was really new being in that environment with a bunch of other kids and uh, a lot older kids, and and in many cases, and there's so much talent, just so much talent congregating at that building going on. You know, we're just like I was mesmerized and quite captivated, but even the vocal skill and you know mm -hmm. some kids who were still in high school had all this like dance training and mm -hmm. you know fine vocal training and all this stuff. And so that was kind of like opened my eyes, like, wow, like this is a whole nother like world of performance and music that I, you know, didn't really know about. I was, you know, I was only like 14 at the time. So Okay. Well, Neil, were you actually singing and dancing so, and acting on stage? Uh, well, it, yeah, I was. <laughs> wow. Oh my <laughs> God. Uh, in, in, that, in that particular show, I didn't do 
much dancing, um, but there was some a, a couple a couple lines I had, and then playing piano on stage. Uh, it was it was really the next two shows I did. I did two more shows um, the next two years at Cinnabar Theater. It was um, the Gondoliers and then La Belle Helene, mm-hmm. all under the instruction of um, Eileen Morris and Jared Emerson Johnson, who were the directors, and uh, they were just fantastic and really helped mm-hmm. me and my brother. But um, that's where I got a lot. I got more leading roles, so I had to now learn how to sing and and wow. and act and do all this stuff and dance around and you know in costume. Cool. It was pretty neat. So that really helped me. It gave me a lot of tools to overcome stage fright. So how did what I mean? What kind of tools? Because I would still be afraid that I would forget the lyrics or you know where I'm supposed to be at a certain time. I've done a little bit of that myself, and it's always you know like a thing. Um, just like wow. What's going to happen? You know, the, <laughs> <laughs> the show must go on. What is go going on. to happen? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a big exposure therapy session for you. Just yeah, there you go. And, you you know. could say that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just get used to it and you, t- you start to trust yourself. You do. Yeah, you kind of have to. And, um, it, well, there's a little bit of trust with who's next to you and who's working with you too yeah. involved, you know, and there, and <laughs> but um, You're glad you weren't next to me, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you were a delight to work with, but I think, I think it was pretty cool because, um, <laughs> because I can remember, I can remember getting on stage and forgetting a line or two or four mm-hmm. at some point And, uh, it, of course, you know, the, the, uh, the fallback is to improvise, but yeah. you're supposed to, you know, well, you're, you're, you're encouraged to maybe um, keep it on on point and in theme with what's going on. So if you kind of know what's going to happen next, mm-hmm. you can sort of navigate that better. Yeah, good point. So Right. And so I had to do that. I had to do that a couple of times. But um, I think it was just forgetting that the audience is there. And sometimes if you just, uh, if you can look at one person in the audience mm-hmm. and, and, and think, okay, I'm just performing for this one person. Mm-hmm. and for some people, it's better for that person to be a stranger or for others, it's a family member they can see in the audience. For me, I couldn't really discern a difference. So I just sort of, um, I just sort of, I didn't really try that. I kind of like would look over the audience or I would look at the whole crowd and, and it helps not having the lights on the, you know. On yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do that for a reason. Anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And you just kind of get in your zone and, and you just perform and, and, um, yeah, I, I guess there's a lot more beneath the surface that's going on, but that's it, it's a little different for each person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a process. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. Interesting. Um, you know, I'm wondering where you are. So you you graduated from high school, and then what did you do? So like, when I, I graduated, you, yeah. Well, when I graduated from high school, I was kind of um, at a, at a fork in the road. I was like, well. I can go to, uh, I can go to a music school that my teacher wanted me. My teacher being Peter, right, my music uh, mentor, who I believe had just passed away, or had. Uh, I was no longer studying with him regularly. So right around the time I graduated high school, it was kind of like, well, what do I do? You know, because he was really kind of grooming me to go and you know uh, apply and study at a, a Juilliard or a Curtis Institute in like Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the direction that he was steering me towards. So <clears throat> without him, I was, um, then I was torn between that or going in a more um, jazz oriented school, maybe, you know, I, which Juilliard also serves, but I was thinking, well, 
maybe Manhattan School of Music or something, or I don't know, because I, I had gone on a band trip to New Orleans two years before that, and I was pretty infatuated and and uh, interested in that whole environment, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, very different from New York, but also I would say equally as important as far as like jazz and the whole culture and history behind that. Um, Absolutely. So I, I wanted to I wanted to maybe like study down there or at least live down there, and I didn't really know exactly, but I... I felt at the time compelled to go and study at a music school. So I went in that direction. I applied and it, it didn't work out. You know, I guess I wasn't what they were looking for at the time. But I tried more than once, you know, a couple of years after that. I got a job, though, before long, um, by the end of that year. And uh, in retail, good mm-hmm. old retail. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah, so heck yeah. It was, it was great experience for me. And speaking of stage fright, this was, I would say, the second piece of getting over stage fright. It's a very <laughs> yeah. real world encounter with um, yeah. whoever's going to walk in. It was a gas station I worked at. So I did graveyard shifts for two years, uh, aside from working, you know, daytime. So I did like that for four years. And then I worked at, um, around that time too, I went to the JC for a little bit. I yes. studied some. Uh, piano, applied piano there, uh, did a semester with uh, Mr. John Simon. Yes, yeah, right. I know and love John Simon. Oh, I did the great. same thing there. Oh, yeah, cool. With yeah, John, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. So love him. He, yeah, that was great. He was uh, showed me some cool things and was helpful. Um, but I didn't really pursue the music program there. But um, but yeah, so then uh, I did that and did the, ba- the day big band there and um, continued to work in retail. And then I worked at Target. I had this like interest in doing, you know, a certain thing with the security and wanted to pursue that. When you're young, you're kind of just like, I wasn't entirely impulsive, but I'll just <laughs> say that, impulsive. you know, I was yeah. like a little bit, I might as well try things out. Heck I, I yeah. want to like see what that's like. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to jump into it and like sure. check it out because I wasn't like gigging full time. I was gigging, but wasn't full time. And um, I was at a point now where it's like, well, the college thing is, on, it's on off season, so to speak. And so I'm going to try this out. So I worked at Target, uh, ended up being two years. And uh, all of this retail was really great experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because dealing with whoever's going to come in and, and uh, patience and yeah, uh, when you're working graveyard shifts, you know, there's a lot of yep. sort of like balance. It's like a balancing act and you have responsibilities and, you, you know, and, and different kinds of walks of life would enter the premises and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember the the, the yeah. night the <laughs> casino opened it was down the street in Runner Park it sort of changed the whole thing so um, that was pretty eye-opening for me and yeah. that that helped me get over stage fright mm-hmm. I would say that really kind of pushed me right. to the next step because um, now I had a, um, a confidence about uh, sort of saying what I needed to say yeah. right whether it was like you. enacting a policy or mm-hmm. yeah. or learning to deal with people and um, it was interesting times. I, I, I will say, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. Yeah, that is such an interesting, you know, comment or story about how you got over stage fright. You know, and it kind of reminds me of what I was doing when I was in my 20s, which was waiting tables. So I did that for about oh, 10 yes. years. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I was living in San Francisco at the time, and <clears throat> I, I would take the bus. So sometimes I had to take a couple buses, and maybe it was an hour and a half, and sometimes two hours to get to my job. Whoa! Yeah. Um, and I remember just feeling so shy and scared sitting on the bus, knowing that I have to go to this nice restaurant and be the host, you know, the hostess for, 
you know, you greet a table and they're just looking at you to make, you know, everything nice and, you know, be relaxed and help set them at ease. And yeah, that was, uh, you know, doing that over and over and over again. But it was like what you mentioned, Daniel, earlier, exposure therapy. Mm -hmm. It really, really, really helped me just doing that day Mm -hmm. after day, night after night to just like get over it. But I would have to do these little tricks on the bus, you know, to help myself like stop feeling so isolated. Because when I really think about it, it was that I was so um, kind of disconnected from people around me. And so I, you know, I just... I was very internal and especially spending time at home, you know, like my apartment, I might be sharing it with other people, but still there was like the sense of isolation that I felt inside of my own skin that Mm -hmm. I didn't really feel connected to the world. Mm -hmm. So I would do this little thing on the bus on my way. I don't know if you guys want to hear about this, but it really actually helped to get rid of my anxiety. It's kind of a weird thing and I made it up. But I'm going to share it with you guys. Share it. (laughs) Okay, so I would be sitting there on the bus and like I said, like feeling a lot of anxiety and like, mm-hmm. so I would look, just let my eyes rest on the first person, you know, that in my, you know, um, sight in my view. Yeah. And I would imagine that person in the palm of my hand, like a tiny little person in the palm of my hand. And then I would imagine them surrounded with light. And then I would say inside of myself, quiet, like just not moving my lips or anything, uh, yeah, you know, sort of on I would that. say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I'd be looking at the person, but just kind of like not staring at them, but just looking at them and imagining them in the palm of my hand and saying this thing. And within, I don't know, a very short amount of time, just repeating that, all of a sudden I would get this feeling in my body of deep calm and I would have some little insight into that person mm-hmm. and I would just feel a connection and then I would move on to the next person. And I would do that the whole bus trip. And then I would arrive at work and I would feel great. And, you know, so Beautiful. it's just a little, I don't know where I thought of doing, how I thought of doing that, but uh, I think uh, I was about 25 at the time. Wow. I, I get a lot great of... Great little story, yeah. Yeah, that's like a very kind of like spiritual undertone I pick up from that, but that's beautiful. Mm. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty incredible. Um, you might want to like copyright that idea or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> rather Send cinematic. Anybody try it, it you know. It's a film to be written on that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, my so, gosh. it sounds like you're making connections with the people around you, even though maybe they weren't aware, but still you're creating a connection like internally, mentally. Yeah. Other people, and that's just that feels grounding, you exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah, that's really powerful. I think like there is something to say, like, the more you say something, the more you believe it in a way. You mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of um, a lot of people kind of go through this thing where they might not, you know, if you say, like, I'm I'm awesome. Like, I used to do this in the car. Mm-hmm. I heard someone else mention this to me, and I forget who it was. Sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, if you're really down on yourself or something and you mm-hmm. kind of just tell yourself, like, I'm great I, or, like, I'm very, you know, mm-hmm. I'm good enough, I'm good, or mm-hmm. just anything like that. Mm-hmm. If you say it enough times, you'll likely to start believing mm-hmm. and you'll actually like at first it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it's true when you say it but it'll start to feel that way the more you do say something so Neat. in some way i don't know that's kind of what i was catching from your story mm-hmm. as well the more you say you love something mm-hmm. the more you'll really believe that you know yeah it's kind of a felt sense yes. i think that yeah. we have all these things going on in our heads that we don't necessarily that we're not aware of mm. 
like I'm this separate individual in my own skin and, mm-hmm. you know, but when we're in fact all connected, mm-hmm. that we're just vibration, where our bodies are just, as of course science has now revealed to us <laughs> that we are, of course, just vibration, just vibrating in different ways and that we are in fact connected and affected by everything including, and I'm feeling kind of like tingly right now. Nice. <laughs> tingle time, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Look out. <laughs> but, you know, just like with music and, you know, the offering of music and what it does for people is, is pretty spectacular. Right. How would you say that music, what kind of a role does music play in your life? Oh. A indispensable one. I, I think it's, um, if I'm not performing it, which I think I, I need to have time where I'm not performing. Um, I kind of have a, a almost hermit nature. Mm-hmm. It's it's subconscious. I, I consciously want to be a part of people's lives and, and you know, and help people out and, uh, you know, be a more sort of what we call extrovert sort of functionality. But uh but I have this natural kind of pulling away uh, from from the the noise and the you know yeah. hustle and bustle. So I uh, but even whether I'm whether I'm in the limelight or not, I think uh, music is um, a very important part of my life, and ha- it probably always has been, even well before I was uh, studying or taking lessons. Um, they say that um, they <laughs> experts in the field in studies have um, well. They've pointed to how playing music um, for young children, toddlers even, uh, shapes their mind. And then how later if those same kids or, or anyone for that matter uh, studies a musical instrument and learns to play it, it helps their, their overall studies and academics and um, just all kinds of things that you learn. It's self-management and self-discipline uh, you know, and all these sorts of, of trainings and, and practices that, that come in. So... Um, yeah, I, music has, has been a huge part of my life and I guess I can thank my parents for sort of encouraging that. You know, my father was in the music industry. He was a pretty, um, heavy, heavy duty guy, heavy duty cat mm-hmm. in the recording industry. That is, he mm-hmm. wasn't really as much of a performer, but yeah. So my mom, uh, on her side, yeah, my uncle is a, a pretty accomplished operatic singer. So, oh, wow. um, so I definitely had some so sort of like great things to aspire to and, and some influences in my peripheral. Yeah. Um, so which, which kind of was, was neat growing up. And, um, but, but I, then music, you know, when I was kind of like a loner in school at some point, I, music was really what kept my sanity. Mm. Yeah. It was <laughs> so crucial for me. Uh, so like, did you come home from I, school and put the headphones on or what did sure. you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or like, and I, I, of course I've always been interested in history and the, all the social stuff around it too. So I would study things about people I was really interested in and in, in the, you know, certain jazz people or classical, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, or, or current artists that I would, um, see like, what are they doing? Where do they come from? And, and who are they influenced by and all this mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, but as far as the music of it, I mean, yeah, it's very crucial and critical for my mental health, you could say. Mm, yes. <laughs> and yeah, because I, I can remember in high school, large part of high school, all I did was just go in the choir room and play the piano, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, and, and I, I didn't do all the band classes because I was kind of able to like split my 
loyalty, I guess, <laughs> for better or for worse, and, and do other things, which which is cool. Um, but uh, but yeah, playing the piano is was like a must, and I think still is. Mm-hmm. And I, there was a brief point in time after high school where I I said, oh, I, I quit or I I'm not going to play, and so I. I there's a reason for that, but you know, I was maybe like four or five months. I I didn't really play that much, but then I I just couldn't stay away from it. Oh, <laughs> you know? I love it. You know what I mean? And and, and even singing, I, I'm not a trained vocalist, but when you sing, it just does something. It, mm-hmm. Whether you're a performing vocalist or not, um, there's something really special about the human voice. I agree. Uh, it's just sort of like resonates with the ear. Mm-hmm. Again, a band, you know. You could have someone singing background, you know, parts that like a trombone would play in an orchestra or something like a French horn, something that it's kind of sits in the background or mm-hmm. in the texture of a huge ensemble. And if you assign that part to a human voice, you know, granted, ideally in a, a more acoustic natural setting, it somehow the ear can detect that. And mm-hmm. there's a special quality about it. And um, so, you know, any singer at, at, in a performance setting, um, instantly kind of like transcends the the sort of um, environment and touches people. So, uh, yeah, singing is great. I'm <laughs> a percussive yeah. person too, so I, mm-hmm. I enjoy drumming and, and things like that. Um, I enjoy playing the trumpet. Really? You know, Amateur-wise, but, uh, but yeah, it, music is a huge part of my life, and yeah. I, I hope to keep it a vital role mm-hmm. in, my, yeah. um, in my life. Well, do you forward, hope? So. Do you hope to going forward just continue to perform? And I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I do. Um, performance is something that's I kind of feel I'm in my element when I'm doing that mm-hmm. when I'm performing. Um, but I also feel kind of like I'm not in my, in my element when I'm teaching to an extent or mm. explaining. Mm-hmm. I enjoy I enjoy sort of uh, helping people with. Uh, kind of like reach a certain revelation that I have, I've had, you know, and laying things out and kind of like yeah. walking them through it, you know, um, that feels sort of like natural and mm-hmm. to me. So, um, nice. I think teaching might play an increasing role down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, performance, writing, composition, arranging, which I'm doing currently a lot of. So, oh, neat. um, yeah, you know, just mostly for my, my, it's not like a professional venture of mine, but, uh, are you but, arranging yeah. for your band? What are you arranging for these days? So uh, arrangement-wise, it's, uh, you know, I write like little big band arrangements mm-hmm. for like, you know, like the high school players. You do? Like that. Yeah, cool. I have like a couple I'm working on, you know. Um, compositionally, I have some things that I, I did that are more grand scale. Okay. Uh, for some reason, I never really sort of... Um, never really like spilled out all this material in songwriting. A lot of kids that I, even some of my peers in high school were, I can remember talented songwriters and uh, poets and lyricists and things like that. And they just could play a little bit of an instrument, but they had all these ideas and they'd write these, you know, really crafty little tunes with it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason that that never really came supernaturally to me. I tried it and I'm, I'm certainly open to it, mm-hmm. helping people out. You know, even my, my dad, who's a songwriter, is like trying to get me mm-hmm. <laughs> help him out. Sweet. And, yeah. you know, I, it's, it's hard for me to do it on my own. I, 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 it feels like I'm more of a, a Finnish carpenter mm-hmm. <laughs> than, than like, you know, the person yeah. who starts. Interesting. And, yeah. That's fun. So your compositions, are, do they include um, lyrics? 
No, or they're, they're, all they're instrumental. instrumental? They're, yeah. they're instrumental. Yeah, they're more uh, classically sort of informed, I guess you could say, and, and you know, right. structured. Because yeah. that's for, what I was like trained as, what I know more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Written for piano generally? Or no. Um, orchestra? For like orchestra or, uh, uh, you know, a, a certain kind of like mallet slash reed slash brass or something, you know, ensemble, ensemble percussion heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Very cool. Various things, you know. So, so like if you, okay, if you could just blink your eyes and just have something manifest, like whatever yeah. it is that you want and you wouldn't Ooh. have to like work really hard for it. You could just like <laughs> blink your eyes and oh, it would happen. Wow. What Christmas would gift. your like fantasy kind yes. of be? Oh my goodness. That's such a broad question. You might need to ask me that at the end of the uh, interview. Okay. <laughs> we, have an answer okay. for yeah. <laughs> we can Let come back to that. Chew on that. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think Stella was mentioning that uh, that you're really into stride piano. Is that mainly like um, New Orleans jazz and stride piano? Is what's stride your... piano has uh, elements of it that root from New Orleans. Certainly, um, I'd say it was sort of um, crafted in New York City in Harlem, uh-huh. uh, notably Harlem uh, in the 1920s. So, um, I starting from ragtime. Yeah, um, I started with ragtime um, as far as branching from classical, right? My grandparents introduced me to it. And um, I was like, wow, this is like classical piano, but fun. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that's a huge disservice to so much amazing music. But, uh, you know, as a juvenile, that was kind of my sentiments. Mm -hmm. Obviously now, you know, I have uh, eternal passion for classical piano uh, and jazz alike. But um, I, I started learning that ragtime stuff. And then I heard like Gershwin solo piano recordings. And those solo piano recordings of of George Gershwin's are uh, stride piano esque, you know. Okay. Uh, uh, by and large, mm-hmm. uh, it's very theatrical. He's a very visual pianist, you know, uh, which explains all of his, you know, stage writing and, and musicals and all that sort of thing. So that sort of had a, uh, an impact on me. That's kind of like what I always wanted to sound like. I always yeah. wanted to be able to use the piano and just as one person on one instrument. Mm-hmm be able to just create all these scenes and, and, and pictures and a lot of it's influenced, I'm sure, by the French school of classical music and all, all these things culminating. Um, but the um, the stride piano thing for me was just so fulfilling mm-hmm. um, because you're providing your own rhythm, your your harmony, your melody, your uh, syncopation, right? Because yeah. it's kind of like advanced ragtime. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you could say Jelly Roll Morton of New Orleans um, kind of like really helped kind of kick that into gear in, in a lot of ways. And then the Harlem people that I was attracted to were Fats Waller, James B. Johnson, mm-hmm. Willie the Lion Smith, you know, yeah. um, eventually Art Tatum. But um, these these piano players uh, really just like championed that style and like perfected and they were like masters of it. And it's such a full style. So it's just always caught my interest. I you know, I, I wanted to dance to it and, and I just loved it so much and um, I gravitated to it. I went to the 2005 Sacramento Jazz Festival. Um, my, my grandpa took me with him and, and it was there. We uh, heard a few bands that stuck out to me, like I think Blue Street Jazz Band, Jeff Barnhart's like Titan Hot 7 or something like that. And I was just like, wow, this is so neat. And that mm-hmm. was like, you know, the, what they call Dixieland, New Orleans jazz, right? Early jazz, trad stuff. And... Um, I did that just kind of really um, pulled me in. And so then as I learned more about it, I got into like the bebop and this other stuff, you know, 
But my heart, I think, is, has always been in that mm-hmm. earlier stuff. Yeah. I just love it. And I, I seem to connect with people more when I'm playing, you know, recognizable stuff and melodies and, mm-hmm. you know, want to dance. If I want to dance to it myself, I'm usually able to convey that yeah. in, the yeah. pl- in my playing. And then yeah. that helps everybody out. So neat. I just, I just really dig that. But yeah, stride cool. piano is like kind of where I come from. Yeah. yeah. Neat. Yeah, that's great. Um, <laughs> you look happy just talking about it. Yeah, right. Look at that. <laughs> so I wanted to pick your brain about um, kind of what's going on in your life today outside of music. Are you interested in anything outside of music at the moment? Kind of. Yeah, you know, I have kind of like um, a, a dual passion going on here. I, I knew it. This is pretty, <laughs> and it's not a person. <laughs> no. um, I think. I, I've always had an interest in cooking, right, oh. in the culinary arts of the kitchen. And so um, I just, I have a very wondrous mind. So I, I tend to think about like, hmm, how did they cook back in like 200 BC or something? Like, you know, how, <laughs> what, that, that just kind of popped in my head right now, actually. But I was just thinking about like, maybe, maybe it's just being out here in the trees. I'm thinking like, oh, what do they use? Like, wood and like grills or like <laughs> uh, they just like dig holes in the ground and like light fires I don't know <laughs> right, right. And, and so I've kind of thought about things like that and um, it kind of in, in tandem with sort of like creating uh, food and uh, how do I say this uh, so I enjoy I had a garden that uh, it was like a I had some like you know vegetables and herbs and things like that uh, for a couple of years I was doing that and um through gardening, I kind of like developed an appreciation of um, cooking from a different angle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, w- when you have to grow your own stuff and pick it and care for it, mm-hmm. and then you bring it to the to the kitchen, right? Yeah. It's it's kind of a completion of of things, and yeah. it's just really neat, you know. Yeah. It's really neat, like, yeah. Yeah, rather than just like totally. going to the supermarket or something. Right. And so um, that's rather recent venture for me. I've always uh, been aware of like cooking and been like kind of fascinated by it, but recently I uh, kind of have a passion of like having my own restaurant someday. Oh, wow. I don't really want to push that out there because um, I, it's, I know it's a really hard business to, to really pull off successfully and it takes so much time and effort. That's true. And I know that music is, I, I feel like music is my calling. So um, that's kind of like my career path, mm-hmm. but I certainly love to cook and I am quite open to studying, you know, culinary arts or, or, or doing that sort of thing. So I, that could be like a, a secondary passion of mine, Neat. you could say. So um, do you have like um, certain uh, kind of food that you like to eat? Oh, I mean, I mean you know, pasta never gets old for me. <laughs> I, lo- I love yeah. the pasta. Uh, but I, I love, you know, I, I, I like Thai food. I like Japanese cuisine, um, a, a lot of Latin American cuisine mm-hmm. um, that I've tried aside from, you know, Mexican food, um, of course, French and Italian is is wonderful. Uh, I, I don't know; it's hard to pick like one region. There's mm-hmm. a, there's so much I haven't tried that I just feel kind of like misinformed, even like going <laughs> down that road. I, I just had a Czechoslovakian cuisine, really, or yeah, at, for the first time um, was a few weeks ago or so. Where was that? That was out in Inverness. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was a pretty neat spot, family family restaurant, and. Um, I was like, wow, this is interesting. Okay. You you start to see like certain ingredients that are shared and Mm -hmm. methods of cooking it. For some reason, that just really interests me. Yeah. Um, But I'm also into like 
people's people studies and sociology and mm-hmm. psychology is probably a field I could have seen myself going into. Um, had I, I probably should have taken that class in high school. But, oh well, <laughs> yeah, totally. It's never too late to study it. You know, now we live in an age where you can basically, you know, as far as the information goes, you can give yourself an, a college education almost. Yeah, <laughs> as far as just pure book knowledge, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's actually a website now. There's a, um, God, I can't remember what it is. But you can actually, there are different universities like Harvard and Berkeley College of Music where you can actually take free classes mm-hmm. online. And um, Oh, right, right. You know, online, yeah. I can't remember. I want to th- say edX. I think it's edX. But they have a, anyway, just for anybody listening that wants to take free classes, um, they have a wide selection of, of classes that you can take. It's pretty cool. Neat. <clears throat> but Very yeah, neat. Um, wow, you are a very well-rounded, um, you know, individual. <laughs> well, I don't do masonry and I, I'm not a blacksmith, <laughs> but, but thank you. <laughs> and so what kind of things do you like to actually cook? Do you experiment or are you a, a recipe person? Uh, well, I've learned that being a recipe person pays off in, in many ways, uh, but I think it's important to keep that um, experimental flair going mm-hmm. in some way. You know, I did work in a restaurant uh, in, in the kitchen. I I wanted to be a waiter. I probably should have done that too. Um, I, th- I think I still could, but I worked in the kitchen for a year at a restaurant in Petaluma um, downtown, and that was a pretty neat experience for mm-hmm. me. Um, I knew that I wanted to do that when I first started my first job. And um, I was like, wow, oh, food service, I, I, I need to work in a kitchen. I need to be in that environment somehow, some way. So I just kind of jumped in there and, and did it. But it was actually a restaurant that I started playing the piano at. And that's kind of how I got my foot in the door. So I'd play the mm. piano there. Sweet. Nice. Right, you know, like once a week for a few months and then eventually befriend the, the staff. And, the, you know, if the owner likes you, then... And it's kind of like, all right, yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to like nice. study into the chef or right. something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Petaluma, so. And what, yeah, is but, that Rivertown? <laughs> what um, restaurant was that? Oh no, not it was um, uh, uh, Rosen's Two Five Six North. Okay. Which is that. yeah, it's downtown, right next to the pool hall. But um, it's kind of a classic, you know, American cuisine place. Mm-hmm. You know, um, big place, big kitchen, and all that kind of thing. So uh, there was a lot that I learned there and picked up. It was really, really cool. But there's so much more. I, you know, I just feel like this yearning to want to like be around the, like the, the top chefs and culinary experts and people who have just like studied all this stuff and, and done all this stuff and all the techniques that go, go into like creating the sauces. And, the, mm-hmm. you know, there's, when you dig below the surface, there's a lot of chemistry involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, there's the, there's the artistic element, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have the whole... Um, well, and then you also have the whole like environmental agricultural aspect, but then there's the um, almost like a ke- a, um, a chemical composition mm-hmm. and, and breakdown of how all this stuff works together and temperatures and mm-hmm. components and how everything holds together, right? Absolutely. So, oh well, you know, I I like to talk about sometimes money and music and um, <laughs> money. Where is that? <laughs> Money. How oh, yeah. do you? Yeah. How do you feel about um, you know gigs and uh, do you have just yeah like what do you have to say about money and gigs? Oh boy. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, business. Hmm. <laughs> Entrepreneurship. Hmm. I think that being a musician 
in the Bay Area is a rather um, tall order. To make it full time, you really have to um, be quite the uh, self promoter yeah. <laughs> somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. There's there's ways to to go about it um, that that you learn from people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned some things from some people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty yeah. generic statement. Yes. Any anything but, to share uh, like that well, you can think of in the moment? I'm so, I see. I'm such not an expert in this. Um, I, I'm definitely one of those artists who would want a a sort of partner managing the business side of things, at least consulting, mm-hmm. because I you know I can appreciate being your own consummate artist where you're you're doing your own booking and you're handling your own money, but you're also focused on your artistic craft. And so, um, but I you know not a lot of not that seems to be harder to do for for most people. So. Um, yeah, I mean, busking can be useful, you know, in mm-hmm. certain areas, right? Um, good old mailing lists and uh, flyers, of course. But to get more people to gigs. And- sure, sure. But you know, I I like to compare it to like waiting tables. Uh, mm-hmm. You brought up where sort of like whether you're performing by yourself, like if I'm just on a piano um, in a restaurant, or uh, or if I'm on the street with like. A, a couple other musicians, right? Where, wherever the scene is, it's like kind of creating your own vibe. Mm-hmm. And so I like to compare it to table service in that um, I think a lot of people, whether they are consciously aware of it or not, they're looking to the to the server to sort of create the ambience for them, yeah. right? Right. Uh, where it may be like, this is, this is my house. How can I serve you, right? Sort of thing. Uh, welcome to my kitchen or my living room, right? And so that's part of it. Some people might just like look at it as like, oh yeah, get me my food, and so I can enjoy my time with my my you know my companion uh, <laughs> or my my party or whatever, mm-hmm. right? But I think um, great great table service kind of kind of like transcends that that sort of wall of like you're just supplying them with their things and you're you're, you're actually kind of like facilitating the whole experience. Yeah. And so as a performing a performing uh, musical artist, I. I think of it as, um, well, you know, you could compare it maybe to like you're just like wallpaper. People just walk by, and you know, they're just like you're you're a texture there you're on on the wall. But it's interactive, or, or it's um, deeply immersive. So, if whether you're on the street or indoors or performing um, or a concert, public gig or whatever, uh, I think it's important to always have the audience in mind. Mm-hmm. This is something that I like to stress to to musicians who I play with. Um, because for a while I just performed by myself. I was just doing like solo gigs, and I, I somewhat kind of do that still. Um, but recently I'm doing a lot more collaborative playing, so it, it's really great. You know, it's it's healthy to to play with you know other people, not just always solo. Um, but I, I try to kind of like keep that in mind. And a lot of people I play with are are very conscious of it already. But um, the audience is there, and so mm-hmm. I, I like to be aware of that. And it's not a self-indulgent yeah. thing, you know. Once you're on stage, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you're kind of talking about, like, staying connected, that there's an awareness of of the, quote, other, right. of the audience. Yeah, and And exactly. that somehow yeah. that um, <clears throat> sounds like it enriches the, the experience for you. It does. But also that it enriches, and maybe because, so, yeah, say more about that, how it actually enriches the experience for you. Well, it's very fulfilling to strike that balance of, um, it's not like a calculated thing, but to hit that sweet spot of where you're, you're playing for yourself and you're playing for others. So if I can 
feel like I'm playing for myself yet serving the audience in a, in a fashion that, you know, is they, they're following along and they're loving it, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's like, wow, I've, I've served them and I've, I've served sort of the, the overall purpose, mm-hmm. you could say, um, and the experience is just enriched. So, yeah, I think if you go too far in either direction, then you might lose uh, your effectiveness and maybe some some sort of, sort of uh, integrity. Mm-hmm. But um, but that's that's kind of how I, how I like to think about it. You know, Neat. yeah. I don't have it all in words, but no, I really I'm just sort of yeah, the idea, you know? totally getting the picture of that. Yeah, yeah, neat. So as far as business goes and self promotion, I. I'm probably not the best person to ask about that, you know? But you like being paid. <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, I've learned to be somewhat responsible about that and, and not take too less about or for something and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard because you want to sort of like present people with, a, well, what, what you can afford is what I'll take, but at the same time, it's kind of like you want them to value what they're hiring you for. And so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that whole thing, mm-hmm. that whole dynamic. Yeah. There's there's a lot of books on it. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> so you mentioned that you play uh, other instruments. So you play the trumpet. Did you do you actually play drums too? Yeah, drum set, drum set, or percussion. Yeah, I've had some a little bit of instruction on that. And believe it or not, my less confident instrument is the uh, the only other instrument I had private instruction on, which is the bass guitar. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I wish I could play double bass. I really do. Um, I've picked one up, and it, it's it's a very cumbersome instrument. It's quite a task, you know. But beautiful instrument. I I, I love it. I, mm-hmm. I just love the acoustic uh, double bass. But um, but yeah, I play a little bass guitar and. Um, I guess reading bass clef helps with that, right? Mm-hmm. I played trombone in elementary school. Uh, my first instrument, though, my first instrument was the alto saxophone Oops. when I was in fourth grade. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I studied under a um, saxophone player named Scott Shipper who uh, gave me private lessons, and he was a really sweet guy and oh. really neat. I, I, think, I think he passed away, though. Yeah, he did pass away. He was like 29, and this was mm-hmm. some years yeah. back. Sorry. Some years back. He was about... He's a good ten years older than me, I think, but um, really great guy. And um, yeah, so he kind of was my first music instructor, really. Uh, you know, before I got into piano and and started taking music seriously, because um, when I was doing that, I, I didn't really take music seriously. I was probably like a lot of the kids wanted to just play sports and um, I don't know, you know, be a government agent or something. <laughs> <laughs> Or swim, or you know, play tennis and soccer or something like that. Um, but uh, but yeah, then I played a little trombone, and then I didn't do band in junior high. But when I got to high school, it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to do music seriously now, and 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 do it in all the facets that I can. And and so it was towards the end of high school. Uh, I, I picked up drums along the way, percussion, and and then towards the end of high school, I was inspired to pick up the trumpet, and um, I just started kind of teaching myself. I had a lesson on it, but. By that time, I kind of knew enough about music to sort of figure it out, right? Neat. And, um, but yeah, cool. great instrument. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you think that helps with your um, orchestrating these oh, yeah. days, you know, having all those behind your back? Certainly. Cool well, it's not that much to speak for. I mean, you know, more than I, most, I would yeah. argue. <laughs> I know. I, uh, yeah, there's some really talented multi-instrumentalists out there. Uh, but certainly you bring up a good point. Having played the instrument you're scoring for is... <laughs> You know, pretty pretty important mm-hmm. and maybe overlooked because uh, there's a lot of composers who 
or at least a lot of people who write for instruments they have no idea about, right? And so um, if you've never played a reed instrument and all of a sudden you're scoring for a bunch of oboes and bassoons and clarinets, you know, it, that can be a dicey thing to get into. So there's some great orchestration books on it. My, my teacher actually, my Peter, Mr. Marlotti, wanted me to really dig into orchestration. So at the very end of our time, he had a book for me and um, we start, he introduced me to it, right? Uh, I wish I had more time with him, but I have that book and so I can now consult that, that yeah. book. And um, of course, you know, YouTube is a great resource yeah. for many things yeah. too. Yeah, what is the name but, of that book? Uh, so that book is uh, a Study in Orchestration or uh, Samuel Adler. I know it's Samuel Adler's second edition. Uh, it's an old book. It's out of print. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's the Study of Orchestration or yeah, something yeah. like that. I believe it was written in the 70s or 80s. Um, but yeah, and that was a book that he recommended towards uh, for me to, to, to dig into. Of course, nowadays there's, there's books that are... Far more extensive on that, you know. Mm. And you have all kinds of media to now consult for, mm -hmm. for that same uh, topic. But, but yeah, to your point, playing all these different instruments—you play a brass instrument, you play a reed instrument, percussion—it really informs the person scoring for all these instruments. So, mm -hmm. so one question that we always like to ask our guests—oh yes—is what is your first musical memory? Like where you're actually listening to music, and it's like your earliest memory listening to music. That's a great question. Um, my earliest memory listening to music, um, you know, maybe it was the Mozart when I was like, mm -hmm. you know, 0 0.05 years old or something. <laughs> but, Do you remember that I, when no, you had said 0.05? No, I don't remember that, but I'm sure that was like in some sort of vague consciousness that I had up until I was like five and then I forgot it. And then my next memory was when I was like one, right? And then by the time you're 12, you forget about that one. And then, right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, it kind of goes that way, but there's certain things that stick with you uh, oddly. Like, the, the the most obscure things can like randomly stick with you yeah. that you wouldn't think you would remember at the time you're going through them. Mm -hmm. Somehow you can remember being in someone's backyard at a picnic when you were four years old so much more vividly than like the next four years of your life, of right? Yeah, right. And, and um, by the way, that's a topic I'd love to study is memory. Uh, just the brain, there's so much going on in the brain that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. That's a whole nother can of worms, but yeah, um, that deeply fascinates me. So my earliest musical memory, I think might be when I was, you know, it sounds very uh, very cookie cutter, but I was probably four years old in the car listening to like something on the radio, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, just with your parents or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. You hear a, a pop song on the radio or mm -hmm. some rock or I don't even know. I, I could guess what it was, but, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> right, right. And then I think after that, probably in a movie watching at home or at someone's mm -hmm. house, you hear music from a movie that kind of stands out. Yeah. Is there any movie that you remember that you really love the well, soundtrack there, to? Oh, well, I mean, sure. Um, at that time, I don't know, really know what I was watching aside from like maybe like, you know, what was on the Disney or the Cartoon Network or, you know, Nickelodeon channels, right? SpongeBob or something. Um, but as far as soundtrack stuff goes, uh, Star Wars was one of the first things I got into, mm -hmm. right, as, as a young kid. So the soundtrack for that was very memorable, of yes, course, yes. understandably yep. so. Yes. Um, yeah. I think the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, Middle Earth, you know, that the Middle Earth, uh, The Hobbit, all that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Wow. The soundtrack to that, 
I believe it's Howard Shore. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most captivating soundtracks, in my opinion. I mean, Harry Potter's great, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, a lot of big blockbuster, you know, they have... Mm-hmm. A little bit. It, right, exactly. But the for me, Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. music was just like... I mean, what, what would that movie feel yes. like without the music? Mm. Not the same thing. I, it's just yeah. incredible, all the, all the nuance that goes into that, you know? Um, it's, I, I'd say it's approaching a level of mastery as the old classic uh, golden era of, like, Hollywood and MGM, right? Um, a lot of animated stuff back then was also mm. on just as high a level as the, as the you know, yeah. live-action stuff, totally. like Bambi, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, true. I forgot you know I mean? about that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Looney Tunes. I mean, mm-hmm. incredible, incredible films, uh, scoring, scoring and music. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I found that book you were talking about. I just oh, wanted to let cool. people know. That's why I had oh, neat. Thanks. phone out. I was like, what's going on there? Um, mm-hmm. Yes, pulled up. So it's called The Study of Orchestration. And they right. have, I think, three editions now. So you have the second, you said. Ooh, right? um, there's <laughs> another. Yes, third edition. Uh, da, da, da. Originally published in 82. Yeah, right. 1982. Right. Yeah, so if you guys want to take a look at that, The Study of Orchestration, you can... Find it on, you know, Amazon or other book. Thanks, yeah. Daniel. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Now it's just like a museum piece. <laughs> no, no. no. I have a similar book at home and it's coming in handy. Yeah, it's yeah, useful tool. What else would you like to talk about? Hmm. <laughs> what else would I like to talk about? There's so much to talk about. I mean. Yeah, I know. It's endless, huh? I could so talk much to I you about orchestration all day long. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, do you have any favorite, like, groupings of... Instruments? Do you like to use any sort of instrument duos or anything like that? Anything you've come across that just gives you a certain sound you really enjoy? Oh, sure. I'm, uh, of course, the good old string quartet is, is great. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like uh, percussion ensembles, mallet, mallet-heavy percussion ensembles, right? So it, you would think, in theory, a drumline would be like the thing. A lot of drumline music I hear is kind of like geared in a certain direction where I, I just hear it being different. Like if I were writing drumline music, I, I would want different things, you know. Um, Neil, I, I don't know what drumline music is. What is that? So uh, it's usually like, you know, you have like a battery and a pit and that's like your bass drums and your snare drums and uh, and then you have your mallet instruments and you might have some cymbals in there too. I see. It, all, the, all the stuff. But nowadays it's pretty extensive. I think cool. they, they include all kinds of different percussion things and, you know, uh, outside of the woodwind and the string realm or something like that. But... Um, I enjoy the sound of brass, a good brass choir. It sounds great. Um, but you know what? I I really enjoy the flute. And I know this is, mm. I don't want to say controversial. But <laughs> <laughs> no, this is what I wanted to hear, honestly. This is what I'm getting at. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, certain things, uh, certain timbres just like attract the ear, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the flute to me, not the piccolo, uh, but okay. the, but the flute is just a, a really cool instrument. It, it, it can be it's kind of like whistling, you know, mm-hmm. and it can be really effective in a lot of different contexts that I've heard it in. That um, I just think kind of vaguely is over the years being really moved by a passage of of uh, you know classical music or film music or even uh, jazz music where oh wow there's a flute solo yeah. mm-hmm. and it was just like really neat. Um, the clarinet I didn't always like. I kind of thought the clarinet was this annoying sort of like nasally instrument. Um, but now I love the clarinet. You know, I, it has a low register that to me is very warm and, and just really cool. And um, as far as pairing instruments, I I guess I'm reminded of um, 
in a jazz setting, uh, like a muted trumpet with an alto saxophone or a, mm. a trombone and a tenor saxophone. You know, there's just different things yeah, that can happen. And there's so many combinations, though. I, I, I can't <laughs> narrow it down to just say, right. this is the combination. I, was, I just thought you were you know? this is the one I use and create. This is, yeah. You know? Use a bassoon <laughs> and a euphonium and you'll be set. It's my copyright. You cannot use this pairing. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, the oboe to me is slightly abrasive, but yeah. hey, you know what? No, no ill will that way. <laughs> it's very effective. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Sorry, I can't give you more in that direction. That's okay. I'm, you know, I can point out certain instruments, but as far as combinations, I don't have extensive scoring experience to maybe uh, speak from informed experience of like this works really well, and they, you know, in and actually in that orchestration book, they get into a little bit of that. Uh, when you uh, like stack like uh, clarinets and oboes really close together versus far apart, and right. how you voice accords using the flutes, all the woodwinds and the brass and things like that. So that's pretty neat to dissect. Yeah. Mm. Now that you bring it up, yeah. I find that so fascinating. So that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Also, from the, um, you're talking about the soundtrack to uh, Lord of the Rings and what you were just explaining earlier about your compositional style. It seems like maybe those two are related in a lot of ways. Oh, you know, you know it kind of, you could say that, yeah, because um, I enjoy an occasional dose of Celtic music and uh, kind of Irish folk mm-hmm. material and uh, things of that nature, um, more more or less the acoustic side of it, you know, uh, and um, and vocal mm-hmm. vocal side of it as well. And that soundtrack is pretty informed and influenced by, you know, that kind of those kind of traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty incredible for me. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have extensive, you know, knowledge in that to, to be able to really give you an in-depth <laughs> on that one. But yeah. <laughs> if you like it, you like it. Exactly. It. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of like thinking about that question that you said, Hey, can we come back to that later? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the one about the, the fantasy, whether it's a collaboration or just like if you could blink your eyes and and just manifest whatever you wanted, whether it's working with somebody in particular, mm. um, whether mm-hmm. it would be, yeah, even, who Master knows? the jaw harp, you know? Yeah. <laughs> a different <laughs> instrument. I don't know. You know, I've, I've known of some very notable people who, after having a lifelong career at something, like all of a sudden they took up that harp and they just made a thing That's with it. That's it, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> or maybe there's yeah. a venue that, you know, they kind of have, I don't know. Well, sure, you know, when you're 18, you dream about, you know, oh, I want to play Carnegie Hall or I want to play this opera house in France or something, mm-hmm. you know. Um, or I want to work with like so-and-so. Uh, I don't... At this point, I, I don't know. I, I'm not really stuck on that sort of thing. Yeah, I kind of just am open to whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I certainly admire a lot of people and uh, a lot of places and um, things like that. But I don't really have my heart set on one thing. Um, maybe I'm in it. Maybe I'm in a transitional stage. Hey, maybe you know, maybe mm-hmm. things are, are are sort of shifting for me uh, in in my sort of projection of my musical. Uh, expressions you know mm-hmm. um as far as having like a fantasy i think i, I mean think like I'm, do you like to tour for example i, I don't want to interrupt you there sorry but oh no, no no go ahead yeah do you i mean do you imagine yourself like touring um or staying in one place or recording or doing film scores or you know, just the, all of the <laughs> do you have above. any idea? Yes. Right. It, well, yeah, because film scoring would be 
if I were to go to music school, that would be the thing I would study, mm -hmm. I think, orchestration, film scoring. Um, but the thing is I don't want to limit myself to writing for films. And mm -hmm. I, I think I feel like I have more to offer in maybe even like a video game role. I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, or, or, or live you know, stage stage shows and, and Broadway stuff. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm pretty entranced in piano and vocal stuff. And uh, maybe if I had a fantasy, it would be to just have like a lot of original music of mine um, written for like a huge ensemble, uh, different ensembles. I have different kind of iterations, you know. I have some of it mapped out um, and having that music performed and, and recorded, on yeah. that sort of thing. Cool. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, hey, if it happens someday, absolutely. There you go. Need love hearing that. Yeah, I'm I'm in a position now where I I should probably be focusing. I always feel more pressure to to focus on just honing my chops and and bettering myself um, musically and studying more and learning more. Um, you know, so as far as like playing with certain people or going here and going there, I'm I'm open to whatever. Yeah, that kind of takes happens, care of itself you know? as you're working on the music, as you're taking care of the music. Yeah, I it tend like I tend other, to agree with yeah. that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Certainly. Yeah, I like that philosophy. Never hurts to just have these ideas, though. Like little things come to you, and oh, certainly, you know, that would be really cool. You yeah, know, it's it's more vague. Yeah, it's more vague for me. Yeah. It's more mm -hmm. like yeah. I know that I want to be playing piano in an ensemble that has this sort of thing going on. Yeah, doing this sort of thing. Right. That's kind of how sort I think of, of it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways, Neat. <laughs> very cool. <laughs> That's a hard question. You know, yeah, it is a hard question. One, yeah. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't even answered that with that's myself right. yet. Have you, have you, have you <laughs> thought oh. about it, Jill? Um, not today. Okay, not today. <laughs> Later. I'll have to check those past uh, interviews. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll create one episode for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah Actually, that's kind of a neat idea for an episode: is to take clips of everybody's like answer for that one yeah, thing. Yeah, I agree. You I like know, that. It's kind of a put cool all of idea. our yes. fantasies together. Call it the fantasy. Podcast the fantasy something. suite. Yeah. <laughs> People click on it for the entirely wrong idea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and right. I'm talking... Not, not the, not the <laughs> We've lost this. <laughs> well, honestly, if you, yes. if you made an episode um, or a separate interview where each person came with like... Not maybe not fully scripted, but like yeah, yeah. this is like my musical fantasy, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. and it could be like its own thing, right? And then yeah, you kind of really compile that or something. Yeah, exactly. Very fun. Might be a, I like that. Yeah, I'm thinking like suite of like you know like a suite, a classical music suite. Yeah. Oh no, not it's like the Bachelorette oh. suite, fantasy no, no, suite. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh mercy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm I'm liking the uh, the inventions here. Oh my god. Oh my goodness! Well, how are we doing? I think we're, we're doing fantastic. Yeah, yeah I'm having a good time. Neil, is Beautiful. there anything you would like to touch on, or is there any question you haven't been asked that you were hoping that we would ask you? Mm. You know, there probably is. There probably is. There's probably a bunch of them floating around. You yeah. know, I didn't ask. Maybe real quick to touch on this, I didn't ask uh, exactly how you started on piano, knowing that's your main thing today i don't think we talked about that really yeah that's that's a that's a good question i think um i don't know how unique it is as a story but i was um being a good old you know what are they what do they call us now what millennials or something i don't even know <laughs> yeah yeah generational born in the 90s yeah. 
Right, right. Yeah, so I was being a kid. Let's just say that. I was being a kid <laughs> playing uh, uh, video games with my brother, right? Yeah. In the front room. And, um, we, you know, we got in a, a dispute. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Got in a video little... game disputes. As yeah, yeah, you know what dangerous. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. I do. I sure and, do. And, uh, yeah, so we got in a little, uh, little heated uh, exchange. And then, and then things kind of escalated. And so my mother, quite wisely... Um, separated me from the uh, from the fray and she said why don't you go to your living quarters otherwise known as your room uh, <laughs> she didn't say those words but you know that's what that's what happened right mm-hmm. so so i was sent to my room and it was in my room of boredom where i was sent for oh i think that was a hefty punishment she slapped on me it was maybe like three or four hours which i was used to like Dang. 30 minutes time out you know yeah. so go to your room for four hours <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah i I, I don't know what I did. What I said must have been pretty bad. But um, I get in my room and um, I didn't have a TV or anything in there. You know, a s- screen junkies, right? Right. Uh, and so I, <laughs> yeah, you should be reading a book with the candlelight. And <laughs> I, I had yes, I did have books in there, and I may have picked a book up and set it down and kind of wandered around. But you know what? Another tangent, you know, is uh, behavioral modification and and punishment and uh, boredom and the role that technology plays and how engaged we are in our own thoughts, which then translates to how well we convey our thoughts and thereby receive other people's thoughts, right? So having time of boredom is, I think, very important. So what I learned later (laughs) is by sitting in my room daydreaming, looking out the window, as I think every kid should do... Mm. um, should not have a fixed cap time on it either, uh, is is very healthy and a good thing to do. So I'll just put that general statement out there. I love it. Yeah. Um, Thank you. And so I pulled out a little keyboard out of my closet that my parents uh, bought for me. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, like maybe like four Christmases prior or something sure. like that, right? And uh, pulled that little thing out and um, turned it on. And for some reason that just kind of caught my interest in the in the in the right way. And I started playing these little demos and I had a little screen to show you the keys that were yeah, they were playing. Yes. Exactly. And so it was a, I think it was like a Mozart sonata thing, you know, that I was, um, it was actually that same, the same thing that I performed at the wedding. It was the K545 sonata, right? C major. And so I slowed it down. You could slow the tempo down and studied the, the keys being played. And I, I was able to teach myself the first, kind of like the the first part of it, right? The first half, I think. Um, I got through, I think, a quarter of that, like by the time I came to my, out of my room. So uh, having never really played before or, you know, knowing about piano anything, um, I just kind of got on that thing and I started playing along and um, my mom was acutely aware of that. And so then she, you know, sent the... Uh, the light towers to be, you know, lit yep. in the family, uh, you know, <laughs> quick, <Everybody? laughs> you know, yeah. alert the press. Do right. that again. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Do that again. Yeah, you know, right. kill the family over. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Call it, the extended family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is well before live streaming, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, um, yeah, she was very supportive with that. And um, it was pretty cool, cool. because I, I, I was then... I think at the time I was like into like, you know, rap and hip hop music, right? And I don't want to, you know, throw shade at anything because I think there's great um, 
there's great music in all kinds of genres and, uh, you know, there's art all over the place. Uh, you know, things change too mm -hmm. over time. So at the time I was into, you know, certain artists and this sort of thing. And um, then I just somehow studying that, like playing it, yeah. just kind of rope, roped me in and mm -hmm. I developed uh, just this really interesting, like captivation with classical music. And, um, and then I wanted to hear it. My, my mom was kind of already into it and her side of the family was loved classical music. So that worked out for me. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of kids who may have been in the same position grow up in environments where even if they have musical parents, you know, they might not have family that is into that sort of thing at all. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so then they kind of like, maybe it gets, uh, you know, worst case scenario gets um, stifled or they have to go mm -hmm. elsewhere and reach out and branch out and uh, have their musical sort of aptitudes um, fostered and, and, uh, you know, facilitated in, in a certain environment. So I was, I was, I, I think I consider myself privileged and certainly blessed and, and grateful to have just in my immediate sort of environment, you know, family that was supportive and, mm -hmm. and, and took an interest in it. So got me going, but yeah, nice. that's how it started. Just on a little keyboard in my room. It's a great story. You know? That's really cool. Yeah. That's, <laughs> and that's neat. Very, yeah. Unique story. I mean, mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting that at all. That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. One never knows, do one. No. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy to me that you could have um, done that exact thing in your room with your piano and walked out and had your mom maybe not noticed or had you not decided to show anyone and could have just... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure the spark would have kept in you. You probably would have sat there and done more of it. And right. Right. And how interesting that right. it actually came from like a punishment. Yeah, that's, that's the such an part. unusual wow. like, adversity you know? turns into like taking mm -hmm. a negative and making it positive. Look at that! Yeah, out of hardship comes triumph for you <laughs> and growth and all this, <laughs> yeah. all this great stuff. Great. Yep. And the great, you know, the great thing about boredom, and when you just, it's like, yeah. Oh, that's just, yeah. It's like, what can you? you know, what can you possibly do that is going to, I mean, just having all that empty space, like long blocks of empty space fosters that creative energy. That's so important. I'm, I'm, it so really great. is, you know, uh, limitation breeds creativity. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, now, now it's like we have all this stuff accessible to us, right? Technologically, musically, anything. And it's great. You know, you could consider we're living in like the best time ever for that as far as having natural resources and raw material there. Mm -hmm. um, but then there, there's like maybe if, you know, a, I, don't, I don't know if it's a cynical outlook, but it, there's a detriment to having everything there and developing an apathy about um, pushing yourself and, and, and kind of pursuing things naturally and, and in, in, your, in your own brain, right? And, and fostering a sort of... Mm -hmm. sort of um, creative yeah. expression. Yeah, you know, as you talk about that, Neil, I'm thinking about how, I wonder how much um, of a role it plays in people's lives um, when when people are, when, when artists, musicians, whatever they are, musicians, dancers, whatever, all the stuff that we see on TV where there's such an emphasis placed on being like the star. And being so great at something that it kind of almost inhibits people from just actually experiencing the joy and the pleasure and, and the hard work, you know, of actually doing these arts. 
putting the time and the effort in. I'm not, as I'm saying that, I'm also thinking the opposite because I do know that some people are really inspired when they see these people performing, sure. you know. Um, so, it, you know, it could work both ways. The dance shows does. or the voice shows. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're, you're, that, that's very insightful um, because you know, when you're on TV, of course, I mean, you mentioned TV, it's like a whole nother like amped up level mm-hmm. of like, you know, a, a, excellence and performance is like you're in show business now everything's like scripted right um that doesn't mean that you know you can't be inspired by something on tv and and tv actually has a pretty cool history of featuring talent Mm -hmm. and things like that and maybe it maybe it has become more synthetic as time goes on maybe it was more natural back in the day i don't know um i didn't live back then behind the scenes but um but certainly that's that's a worthwhile thing to to contemplate um, you know, I mean, just the power of the, the, the beauty and the power of uh, <clears throat> doing your doing something, whether it's a musical instrument where you don't have to be great at it. Yes. But, you know, um, just in so many cultures, music and dancing or whatever, it's just a part of life. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be great at it to when I say great at it, I mean, you know. You don't have to be a product. Incredible, expert. yeah, yes. master or skillful no. person to thoroughly enjoy and benefit from from that art. And sometimes I wonder if those high levels of, you know, mastery can get in the way of people saying, Oh, well, why should I bother? Because I don't have that talent or right. discouraging. <clears throat> this is, mm-hmm. is a very um, relevant thing to talk about in in the scope of uh, performance and musicians because, you know, my teacher, I had every reason in the world to be, you know, massively intimidated right Mm -hmm. um but i think it was his mentorship so having someone that kind of like mentors you or you know uh believes in you helps you believe in yourself Mm -hmm. and so that's pretty important um but when you don't have that even in a family setting i mean music is is such an integral part of like culture Mm -hmm. and so i it's like at the same time you want to inspire kids studying music to pursue excellence and and Mm -hmm. and believe in themselves and, and push for the best right at the same time, I think you need to, um, or one should maybe encourage them to have fun with it mm-hmm. and, that, you know, that they can have fun with their instrument and they can have fun with music and, and have a more um, sort of relaxed, casual iteration yeah. of that yeah. as well as a high-level performance. And, but then on the other side, you have, like, music playing a different role than, like, being on a stage mm-hmm. in a concert setting yeah. where it's, you know what I mean? It may be more of a collaborative uh, participation mm-hmm. sort of thing and that's very important too in yeah. a lot of cultures so yeah i i hope that i can in some way um help that or you know what i mean like keep that going or um and not overshadow that you know whether i'm performing or teaching mm-hmm. i certainly i i want that to because i think it, it has a, a diminishing role in our in our in our yeah. culture so i hope that living here in america that we can kind of foster uh, uh, that sort of environment that hey music is not just something you see on tv or not just something you hear in these like super manufactured recordings mm-hmm. on pop radio mm-hmm. right that you know there's so much it's a huge spectrum of possibility and and yeah yeah <clears throat> i agree so thanks thanks for bringing that up mm. let's not forget that music doesn't have to be this excellence skillful display or anything by that it's I think for most people, it's an emotional mm-hmm. um, vessel to work through. And so as long as you're just being, you know, yourself being honest about what you're putting out there, it's, you don't have to be just the greatest player in the world. Just be true to yourself and explore it. Absolutely. You know? It's, it's, a, it's a language. It doesn't matter where you are. 
Yeah. Right. It's a universal language. So we shouldn't, you know, isolate it to being, uh, uh, you know, concert art. Mm -hmm. Right. It should be art art and language that can be enjoyed and entertained by all walks of life, Mm -hmm. I think, at any time, anywhere. Yes. Yeah. I really agree. And and maybe that's a sensitive topic for me just because of how I grew up, Mm, where, you know, one parent who still re- re- remain nameless. Well, uh, okay, well, it's kind of obvious. But, you know, my dad was kind of, you know, pretty harsh. And it's like, if you're not really great at something, like, why bother? If you don't have this incredible talent and whatever. And so, um, and, you know, I mean, not only with me, but just, you know, just hearing him talk about people in the community. But um, where was I going with that? Um, oh, but what I wanted to say was, for example, like how how... He like for example, oh man, I'm feeling slightly emotional right now, but I'm just gonna keep going. There was a friend of mine um, many years ago in San Francisco, <clears throat> who um, her boyfriend was in recovery, and he had been a heroin addict, and he had been in recovery for a couple of years, and was doing really well, and was a leader in the community, and. One day she called me up and she said, she was just screaming and she said, oh my God, you know, her boyfriend went out and basically overdosed on heroin, you know, which was just like shocking. And she was just completely like screaming and just unraveled. She just was kind of out of her mind. And so I said, come on over. She came over to the apartment and I remember at the time, you know, I had an electronic keyboard and this is many years ago. It's like... 30-something years ago. And I'd been playing, you know, some French things like Darius Mio and um, some Janacek music, Leos Janacek. I love love him. But anyway, it was kind of very... She said, Jill, will you please just, like, play the piano? And so she sat there on the couch, and this is, like, right immediately after she had just discovered her boyfriend was dead. And I just played for her for a couple of hours, just this slow you know, music and it somehow even, I guess my point is, is like, I wasn't a great player, Mm -hmm. you know, but there was still a gift to be offered in making this human contact and somehow healing. So I just, it's so important that even if we're not, you know, I'm not a fantastic player or singer, but if I can like touch somebody, you know, and I'm, I've started this late and it's like, I'm almost 60 years old and, you know, I only started this seven years ago. And, yeah. you know, um, I could be saying to myself, which occasionally I do, <laughs> you know, like, what am I doing? Why do I focus so much on this, put in so much time and energy? But it brings me great joy. Exactly. And I'm shaking my I head know. in approval right now. <laughs> <laughs> so important. Therapy. I mean, mm-hmm. music in, in a care home or in hospitals yeah. or, uh, with animals. Mm. Animals... So many animals are super responsive to it. I mean, wow. Lisa Spector, do you know that name? She's actually a classical pianist. She lives in Half Moon Bay. Um, I actually grew up with her in high school in Syracuse. Yeah. And she's actually created a whole um, music program for dogs. And so she has a couple of CDs out. She's a classical pianist. And so, yeah, Lisa Spector, she's got, she was, I don't know, on some news shows, like national news shows, like, um, with her CD, apparently she's really, really helping a lot of animals with her CD. So her name is Lisa Spector. <clears throat> that is so cool. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, I've seen like the the elephant 
you know, standing by the piano and mm-hmm. playing Bach or something, you know. That's just so neat. And, I mean, yeah, it's, it's incredible to me. Pigs, all the kinds of animals, probably even marine yeah. life, you know, sound waves. Good I mean, point. Right? Yeah, right. I, on a personal note, if I can quickly add a, a recap, I, when I was, um, so when I was playing piano in, 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 um, in the living room, my grandparents' house, um, I was probably 13, 14. For a while, I yeah, did that, you know, all the time. My, my grandfather, who um, who got me into ragtime music, and he, he loved bluegrass music too. So he loved ragtime, mm-hmm. right? And he also loved like Appalachian bluegrass because he was from Tennessee. Okay. And, um, and this is on my mother's side. And so um, he, it, we had a dog. They had a dog um, who was, uh, let's see, he was German Spitz and... Uh, Eskimo, I think, or some kind of... Com- he was like a, a, you know, half and half. Uh, very sweet dog, but he came from an abused um, background. He was an abused puppy, and um, I think it was a rescue. And so this dog, is, uh, his name is Leo, and he's since passed away, but this dog, was, he and my grandpa were inseparable, right? And so they would be on the couch, and they listened to bluegrass music, and my grandpa would tap on his head, Right? He would like keep the rhythm yeah. and things like that. <laughs> and so a combination of that and my oh. piano playing, because, uh, you know, um, my grandpa was would always come and sit and he was the most supportive person mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, my grandpa, Bill, he was like, wow. I think without him and, and Mr. Marlotti, my, my musicianship and my musical, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be playing piano really like I am now. I don't think so, mm-hmm. you know, like my, both my grandparents. But... This dog, okay, <laughs> maybe it was ear training or so, I don't know what it was. <laughs> Private talks in the back about memorization. Who knows? But <laughs> it got to the point where I would play the piano and without my grandpa there, he would instantly hear me from across the house and he would run over and, and, and sit by the piano or he'd jump on the couch and he would just kind of rest oh. his head. And then when I stopped playing, if he wasn't like asleep or something, he would kind of like get up, right? I could just tell that he... Yeah. Was yeah. very reactive to what was yeah. going on, yeah. and you know I know cats are completely wired differently, but um, I had a couple of cats at certain points who similarly might kind of sit around and mm-hmm. the piano or yeah. on top of it where they right. feel you know because right. um, they're they're very into like touching and feeling yeah. things you know, they're, they're touchy feely yes touchy feely <laughs> that's are. why I love them <laughs> yeah, right right I love I love all of them, yeah uh, and so I just noticed that as a young kid I was like. That's kind of interesting, but it kind of went over my head. I didn't really grasp it. And so since I, I've been really interested in that and, uh, I, yeah, mm. so much, there's so much on that topic that, you know, we could yeah. dig into, but, mm. but music plays many vital roles. Mm-hmm. Should not be, you know, if I'm going to make one, you know, statement on a soapbox, I don't think music should be just like pigeonholed on a, on a stage and just like, yeah. this is what you do. You shine and perform and, you know, mm. it's just so critical to mm. much of life. Mm. Thank you, Neil. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank you. you for that. So this has been an absolute pleasure having you on. I've had so much fun and love learning about you and your life and just conversing about all of this stuff. And enjoyed uh, some uh, intense giggles as well. Intense giggles. <laughs> oh, yes. Giggle attack. I don't know how I get going, but, you know. There. That was great. Yeah. So, yeah, Neil, thanks for coming out. I got to pick your brain about, I want to actually hear your compositions if you uh, 
Me too. I have an ability to show me some of those someday. <laughs> that would be cool. A little behind the scenes. Show sure. That would be fun. But yeah, again, yeah. And do you have any sort of uh, websites or anything? We can. Yeah, we have a website. Billy Holiday Project website. Right, right. But website. For, for yourself. For myself, yes. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I don't have a huge body of work that I can kind of like, here's my website. Um, I probably should at some, you know, some sure. point. But um, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Facebook and, uh, you know, I have an email address. Hey, look at that. <laughs> yeah, we'll have those. We'll have that. So you know what I mean? For That's people okay. who yeah. want to get in contact with you, contact. hire you, or um, maybe take piano lessons with you, or sure, whatever. yeah, mm-hmm. give private piano lessons. I'm working at a high school uh, right now as my day job, so my performance sort of life is kind of half and half, more or less. You know. But, Great. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, and um, I guess that's it for today. That's going to be it. See you next week, guys. Bye-bye.